There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. did not freshen up my tetanus shot and it's been three years my jaw has not locked so i think by now i'm fine he pulls like he is trying to like pull a young girl out of a well and the sinker hits the bottom of my boat and it sounded like a shotgun go off so when amazon drones start delivering groceries and spying through your windows their wings might look a whole lot like fish fins and this little bait caster just disintegrated and i just blurted out wow how about this f***ing piece of shit Good morning, Degenerate Anglers. Welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that definitely told the inappropriate joke at dinner in front of your socially conservative and easily offended uncle. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte. Uh, and I'm I'm consistently shocked at how easy it is to offend people oh, these days. Dude. Like, dude. there was a time, and, and I'm not talking like way back in the day. I'm talking about a time not very long ago when if I was making someone uncomfortable or offending someone, I was probably doing it on purpose. Yeah, me too. But, Early 2000s-ish. Yeah. I would say. <laughs> but now, oh man, now everyone's so angry and mistrustful of everyone else that we're, we're like all listening to each other differently, I mm-hmm. think. I think mm-hmm. it's a different way of listening. Instead of listening to understand what another person is saying, we're listening to see if we can pick out clues about which side yeah. of the cultural divide the other person sits on. It's truth, truth. And, and if we hear if we hear evidence that they're one of them, one mm-hmm. of whoever we consider the bad people, then we we approach the whole interaction differently, like as if they're our enemy. We we just dis- mm-hmm. we start dissecting their speech for anything that we can latch onto in order to paint them in the most negative light possible and hopefully ruin their lives forever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like the innocent and and accidental social faux pas, it just it just kind of no longer exists. Yeah, right. Like we're like we're all constantly under arrest, and anything you can say uh, will be held against you in a court of public opinion. And just so we all <laughs> understand each other, right? I'm not talking about like overt hate speech. 
for for God's sakes, you know no. what I mean? Or comments like that intentionally demean or dehumanize anybody. That that shit's never been cool. No. I'm talking about just honest and innocent slips of the tongue. Like yes. those times when your mouth moves before your brain can edit for context. Yes. Um, or what used to be called sticking your foot in your mouth, right? Which, <laughs> I mean, if we're, if, we're, if we're being honest, based on on response we've gotten to a few select past segments on this show, um, we've, we've put our foot in our mouths here on Ben a few times. You know? Absolutely. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we've at least tried to own and atone for those publicly when we do them. Yeah. And, and as someone who, who speaks to a lot of people you know, in a big format for at least part of my living. This is something I think about a lot because mm. it's kind of always there on your mind, you know, but anyway, we're, we're not, we're not actually going to spend the remainder of the show dissecting how or why our culture has become so pitched against itself that one ill-shaped phrase can lead to social unrest. No, no, we're not. There are plenty of other podcasts that you can turn to for that. Yes. Because uh, this is a fishing show, damn it. And at least in most cases, right, fishing boats remain relative safe spaces. They like do. places where you can just let down your guard a little and be yourself, even if that means saying something just monumentally stupid. Um, yeah, you know, on most fishing boats, doing so just, it will result in ball busting. And I believe in the power of ball busting among buddies. That is what I, it's yes. one of the things I do well. Just good natured ridicule. It's it's how I show affection, right? If yes. I don't make fun of you from time to time, I probably don't like you. And people <laughs> don't get that very concept anymore. You know what I mean? Like Amen. I, I I I make fun of you because I love you. You know. Yes. And and if I don't make fun of you, it's because I just don't care about you enough. Exactly. To put in the effort. You are not. You are not worth me coming up with some really good freaking material. Yeah. You know. And you're not worth me trying to change your mind or your way of thinking <laughs> exactly. by giving you a hard time. And you may have noticed, Joe and I, like you and I, we pitch each other shit because we respect exactly. and like Exa each other. Exactly, yeah. Right? And I would say, I would move on that. I'd say a solid 30 to 40% of my interactions with my wife, the person whom I love and adore more than anyone else on the planet, involve us giving each other a hard time. That's what we do. And yeah. similarly, the absolute best days of fishing are the ones where you're free to be an idiot and get called out on it by your buddies. I don't mind being wrong and I don't mind being told I'm wrong or being made fun of for being wrong. So long as there's someone there to lovingly, but mercilessly set me straight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm an idiot on a daily basis, and I put my foot in my mouth daily. I did, and I can think of a million stories of the kind of jovial, like, ball busting that that you're talking yeah. about, and, like, that's what makes fishing so great. Though, ironically, like, I I think my worst defense is actually a much more literal foot in mouth, right? <laughs> and, I like, it's just what comes to mind first, because it's, you know, put your foot in your mouth is our loose theme. I mean, the, the worst offense I can think of, I was on a trip in Key West years ago with a huge group of writers. You've been on some of these. There's just a ton of people there, and you yes. don't really know all of them, right? And, and it I feels ended up high on a, stakes because you, you like these are your colleagues in in this yeah. sort of rarefied air, and, and you don't want to screw that up. You don't, but it's also like that guy's been here for five days, and I'm not sure what he does or who he works for, <laughs> but he's here. Um, so anyway, so anyway, I end I ended up on a boat that was going potholing for barracudas, big ones, right? Which is insanely fun, something oh, I, yeah. I haven't done in years. Yeah. Super fun. Um, and as as those trips tend to go. There's often a rotten real sponsor. So the dude I was paired with that morning, right? I had seen him. He was at dinner, but we right. hadn't spoken. Right. So he just introduced himself, told me his name. We shook hands. I had no idea who he was. And the first CUDA I hooked, 
just smoked the reel I was using. I mean, just took a ripping run almost to the, to the end of the line, right? And then the reel just locked up and there was no turning it, right? <laughs> and this was the company's <laughs> new hot shit inshore oh, no. series that was supposed to be super tough. And this little bait caster just disintegrated. And I just blurted out, wow, how about this fucking piece of shit? Oh, no. Yeah, the dude was the guy oh, no. who designed it. He was oh. the designer of the reel. And I had no clue. And the captain was like, oh, dude. And he, he awkwardly, this poor guy, he just awkwardly spent the rest of that day explaining to me why that one must have been a lemon. Oh, <laughs> uh, I feel bad for both of you. Yeah, it was, it was just something. Not exactly the kind of thing you were talking about, but I just like, it was an opportunity to tell no, that story. I've that, never that told is, it. I think that's a good example of the foot in the mouth, though you were justified in that case and he yeah. was wrong. I'm uh, I'm going to wager, though, that you are not going to publicly tell what company that no, was. No, no. I'm not going to tell you which it was. I'll tell you which it wasn't, though. 13 Fishing. Oh, <laughs> nice. No such problems with those reels for me yet. Matter of fact, I just posted a shot. Kind of why I don't understand why so many people liked it, though I'm glad they did. But I posted a shot on Instagram of my, my neon green Inception SZ just all gunked up. Right with two seasons worth of just duckweed and mung from snakehead fishing, and I haven't had a problem with that reel yet. I haven't cleaned it. it it's still doing its thing despite just like the layers of caked on goop. Yeah, no, they're I, I'd say they're like they're like the Timex of fishing reels. Timex, it takes a licking and keeps on ticking. And our friends over at Thirteen Fishing appreciate all of you listeners out there. Oh, this is so big. much. This is big. They are offering you an exclusive 40% Ooh. discount on your next order just for yeah, bank man. listeners. 40%. Surprise. This yeah. is not like a 5%. Like, oh, we give you 40%. Just use the code BENT40 Type at it checkout. In. Yes. And, and score yourself a sweet deal. Do it. It's a really sweet deal. We love deals. You love deals. And I know someone else who appreciates a sweet deal <laughs> that would be joe's good buddy and walleye angler extraordinaire ross robertson he's mm. exceptionally skilled when it comes to inserting his lower extremities into his orifice <laughs> i realize we just heard from him in a tackle hacks we not did. too long ago but this smooth move it just fit our theme so perfectly that we'll all have to suffer through him again why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry? Oh, my God. Hey, guess who's here today? Captain Ross Robertson, walleye angler extraordinaire, dear, dear friend of mine. Guess who's back? And guess where he is? He's back sitting directly across from me. You want to know why? Because we are in Ohio at present in your, in your like little domain here. Filming an episode of Das Boat season three, and we're all we're all staying. The whole crew is staying together in this really bizarre house. So I thought, why not? Why not set up the mics? Joe, this is a cross between poor man's real world and a bad frat house. That's what I feel <laughs> it's, like. It's a huge house that sleeps like four hundred, but it's I don't know. It feels like it's like multiple houses sort of glued together. What they what they give us in beds, they take away in ceiling height. <laughs> <laughs> ups, yeah, it's it's very a lot of angles, low ceilings that I mean, angle. This away. door I'm looking at. There's literally the a shower that... in here that no human taller than five feet could stand upright in. Oh, that's that's the child shower. This door here, whoever the carpenter is, he did an amazing job making a triangle door. 
<laughs> We're not here to talk about the house, though. We're here because it's always more fun to talk to you one-on-one. I want to see the face, look on your face when like I tell you these shenanigans. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because you are the smooth moves king. Like, you live to, like, you know, you, you live to shit talk people. I don't, it's not shit talk as much, but if you stand at Walmart, okay, for like 10 years, <laughs> you're going to see some stuff. Well, if you guide, you know, I've guided, I don't know, over 4,000 days. You're, you're going to have and get some a job at Walmart. No. I'm going to probably have to, especially after after this after this breaks. Oh boy! But no, seriously, like you're going to see some stuff. Like things happen in a boat, man. People tell you things they don't normally tell you. Sure. I mean, I've got I, I've got a lot of stuff. Some of them we can't really talk about, but some of them, you know, because I, I don't want to call anybody out individually. But this sure. one here. But didn't you also tell me that you've had clients who've heard bent and smooth moves and been like, "Can you tell them the story of of what happened to us?" Yeah, true story. And I'm like, no, because I feel like they're, they're trying to force it. All of a sudden, now we're doing things. I'm like, no, shenanigans like, have to happen. Exactly. I don't tell you you went on smooth moves. You, your actions tell you. <laughs> what, I'm just curious. Like, what do you get people say? Remember that time I stuck my hook in my finger? You should do the bent thing yeah, about I mean, me. That's the one thing about, you know, when I started this, it was all about fishing. And now the media and socials and people wanting to be Insta stuff. Mm-hmm. And you go... It's just different. You know, people are like, hey, can I be like literally get in my boat? And it's not like, hey, I hope we can get a big 10 pounder today, Ross. It's like, hey, am I going to make your Insta feed today? Uh, and I'm like, boo. Brutal. No, it's part of the business. Brutal. It's part of your business. Yeah. But still at some point when you're hardcore, like I'm a salty, like fishing, well, not like salt water, but you know what I'm saying? I'm uh, I'm a grizzled working on my crow's feet, uh, getting gray hair because of situations like I'm about to tell you. Well, I think the last time we had you on for smooth moves, that was uh, when the drunk guy uh, choked out a toy poodle in a parking lot. So let's what I, lay it on me, man. What do, yeah. what do you got this time? This around? one we're going to entitle hypocrisy. Okay, oh. so some people may get offended on this, but this has nothing to do with anyone's profession. But I'm just I, I feel like I have to bring it up because it's a little hypocrisy in there. Okay. So all right. So I have a guy who um, I, I've known. F- Someone in his family forever calls me up and says, hey, I have a, um, I don't know exactly what the proper term would be. Let's call him a priest. Okay. Because <laughs> wait, 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 Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's somebody that's kind of like a priest or you're making a joke and he is well, a priest? Well, it's just like, you know, depending on what your religion is, because I'm going to keep this very vague. A pastor, maybe if you're in a different religion. Gotcha. Well, it, it doesn't matter. Got it. At any rate, guy calls me and says, hey, man, I've got this guy and he's my, he's my pastor or whatever. Again, irrelevant. And he says, he's gotten me through some stuff in life and he's just, you know, he's always kind of gone above and beyond. And, you know, we, I want to take the guy fishing. Like he hasn't done the fishing thing. That's nice. Yeah. So, you know, moving around, this guy just hasn't, you know, he hasn't gotten to do the fishing that he used to. Right. Sure. So he said, Hey, I want to take a trip for him. I'm like, yeah, cool. And again, to me, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, but it's always good to get good people in the boat. You know, at this point in my career, dealing with ding dongs, like I kind of weed that out pretty quick if I can. So I want to be the biggest a-hole in the boat. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't happen in the dust boat. But anyhow, so here's the deal. This guy were out here, and I explained to him, it's not a prime time, but I got a deep bite going, and I've been catching some pretty good fish. Okay. But it's it's a little bit of a grinder. I said, so do you guys want to just go for the little eaters, or do we want to try to get some picture takers? But the picture takers are going to be like, you got to pay attention. We got to listen. This is a different deal. They're basically we're controlled fishing bottom. Of course, I rarely ever, ever have anybody go, let's go fish for the little ones. But I'm like, hey, we're going, you know, like 20 miles this way or 10 miles that way. Like we're not doing both. So you got to make a commitment. We want the big ones. Okay, perfect. I don't like fishing for little fish either. So, but I know it's going to be a lot more work for me. Right. So we get out there and I realize real quick, like, hey, these guys want to have fun, but to make this, to execute, 
they're not really listening real good. Mm -hmm. So you start with like, Hey guys, you know, and, and you kind of keep amping it up. And, uh, the guy says to me at one point, cause we lose a couple fish and I mumble under my breath, like fuck, because again, you know, I, when we lose a fish, I want everybody to have fun being serious. But if you were fishing with a captain or cause I fish with guides, you know, I go down saltwater and sure. stuff. I fish with a captain. Sure. Like if that captain, when we lose like a trophy fish was like, Oh, well, I'm kind of like this guy and my guy. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, now you don't have to throw a tissy fit. I get it. But yet, if you don't give a shit at that point, like... I, you have to make your point known that, like, you worked hard. Like, I just put you on them. It, it's hard. Like, you're not... This is like trophy deer hunting. You're not, we're not going to have 10, 200 class deer come in because you're eating Mountain Dew and donuts. Right. And, like, dude, I... I, I we, yeah, we'll get the next one. Yeah. That, yeah, exactly. Like, and when I hear that, we'll get the next one. I want to choke slap somebody. <laughs> just don't say anything. <laughs> so... Like, these guys are losing a bunch of fish. I threw a little few F-bombs out under my breath. Like, cause, because, again, we lost a few fish. That I was like, man, I know those were great. Those were good fish, right? Yeah, I just, yeah. this is what I do. I know it. And I, uh, he starts, he's like, you know, I really wish you'd clean up your mouth. And I tell him, you know what? You're right. I said, you're, you're, you, you aren't wrong. I said, you know what? I said, I do a lot of things wrong. I said, uh, you know, and, and, and you're, you're not wrong. I said, but you know out here, I said, that's the worst case scenario thing I do. I said, I'll, I'll try to clean up for you. But I say to him, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> oh, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <sighs> right. So now I'm starting to understand things a little bit. Yes. Not, yes. Not, not that you have to be a pastor. You know, you could be a school teacher. Right. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what you do. Right. You work in a factory. It doesn't matter. Well, Nevertheless. I don't, I don't so, trust people that don't curse. I'm with you. Okay. Shh, I don't want to tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to be. But so, yeah, long story short, this guy gets on the second fish. Like, Boom, and it goes, and I, I'm not going to lie to you. I would never say this, of course, until that's, this much time has passed. I know immediately this is the one. This is either a sheephead, a catfish, or a giant walleye. Giant, I mean, yeah. me and you have yeah. had this in, in, in person. And this guy is just going gorilla mode. You know, I'm always joking with you to slow down reeling. I mean, he's got Bill Dance on his mind. I mean, he's whipping that rod left, right. I mean, like, you'd have thought we were bumping <laughs> around stumps even though we're in the middle of nowhere in 40 feet of water, right? Yeah. So we get close, and now this fish, dude, is straight up and down. Well, it gets up a little farther, Joe, and it looks like an orca whale. And I see the white belly, and I'm like, dude, 100% walleye. Dude, I'm telling you straight up, 30-plus incher, if it's an inch, giant. I physically have to reach over and grab the rod and reel about three feet up because this dude is trying to just reef, right? Like, mm. he's trying to rip the rod up like, like a stand-up tuna deal. Mm -hmm. like, and I'm like, I'm like, but there's no time to really talk. You know what I mean? This, this is like trying to tell somebody to stop at a stoplight. You just, you got to kind of roll with it at some point. No more directions. He's not listening anyhow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, before I tell any farther, I just want to let you know, like this guy had told me like three times, like, hey man, you know, this is how you need to live your life. You know, this is, you know, you don't curse and, you know, you need to be this guy and everything. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of joshing him a little bit because again, he's a client, but I'm joshing him about, well, you're not listening to me, so I'm not listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> and so now we are at the point where the sinker is in the rod tip. And when I say in the rod tip, he wound the sinker into yeah. the rod tip. But I've got like a seven foot leader and this thing is seven foot straight down. I can't quite get it yet. And I'm telling him, just stop reeling. He's still trying to wind the sinker into the rod tip. And now you just play, as you know, you play them out. Like at some point they just kind of come up. I'm letting it happen. And the fish makes a little run. It can't get out. Like it, it wants to go. So I reach over and I'm trying to break the, the sinker out of the rod tip. And he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, I almost had him. I'm like, dude, this fish is like, this fish is not ready to go. And it's a giant. So I keep pulling the line out and giving this thing just let's, he's green. And so now this fish is under the boat and I can't net it till it's like right there. So all of a sudden he goes, forget this. I got it. 
grabs that rod like three feet up and dude pulls Ugh. he pulls like he is trying to like pull a young girl out of a well that has been in it for like oh, drowning god and the sinker hits the bottom of my boat dude and it sounded like a shotgun go off and right there at the bottom of the boat i'm gonna guess 10 feet i watch this thing swim away you like I love seeing them swim away like that. You know, I love the yeah, release after you got Just your Instagram not picture. Until I yeah. touch it. Like there's something like, <laughs> like, like a saltwater guy touch the leader, you know, Ooh, let him go. Cause I, I don't keep those, but you want to get a picture. You want him to get a picture. You know, that's the biggest fish or walleye of his life. That's an accomplishment. As all of this is happening, he realizes that the fish is gone. He takes the rod over his knee and breaks it in two and says, mother and he just starts <sighs> screaming, you son of a bitch, mother, what the f***? And just going off. Me and the other guy are just standing there looking at him like, <laughs> what just happened? And I just looked at the guy and I was like, hypocrisy much? <laughs> and he's like, he, he was, dude, he was out of his mind. And then he like stopped and he looked at me like he realized what he did. And he's like, oh my God, I'll, I'll buy the rod. And I go, oh, oh, oh yeah, you, oh yeah, yeah, you you, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank, <laughs> thanks for confirming I'm blocking your car in the parking lot. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, you know, I was like, all of a sudden that one F-bomb when we lost the other fish, I feel like this is worth two or three more. <laughs> and it, dude, it was, it was, it wasn't funny, but it was funny because obviously I want to get that fish in. I don't care if the guy's a great guy or a jackass, like to see that happen, it's heartbreaking, but it just goes to show, you know, like you can't do whatever you want and get a fish in. I mean, I know you know that, but a lot of people that are our guide clients just think, Hey man, Ross always catches them. Like we'll, we'll get them in. It's like you still got to do the fundamentals. If you throw one over your head playing basketball, you're not going to make it in the hoop. You know, I mean, you got to do the simple things to get it in. And he didn't understand. Okay, I got to tell this one. He set me up too well because I, I have a very similar guiding story. Okay. I had this, I had this group of guys who would book a multi-day trip with me every year. And, and the core, like the core crew consisted of four gentlemen. But then they would usually bring another two to four friends to round out the party that would rotate. And those now, are the outliers. Yeah, man. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the ones you don't know. Yep. Now, I got to say, these are solid, reputable Southern gentlemen. And, right. and they, they fished with me a lot. They would do different kinds of trips each year. They would often have one or two family trips where they brought spouses and children. And those were pretty tame. They were like right. buttoned up, right. you know? Yeah. But on the annual guys trip, the tone was just more irreverent. The the As beer, be. wine, and whiskey usually started flowing around 10 a.m. or so. And look, nobody ever got visibly drunk or obnoxious. Sure. sure. But it was fun. And there was there was plenty of colorful language tossed around. So I'm guiding the first day of one of these guys' trips. And one of the anglers in my boat is a regular, a guy I've guided for over a decade. The other was a new member of the party, someone I'd never met before. But I figured if he ran with this crowd, he had to be just a good laid back dude, right? Sure. Safe sure. assumption. Makes sense. Yeah. So we're floating the upper Madison and we're catching fish and everybody's having a good time. And I've got my, my self editor set to guys trip mode, you know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. definitely dropping F bombs here and there when I feel the urge to. And finally, just before lunch, I asked the guy who I don't know, like, oh, what is it that you do for work? And he turns to me and says, I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm actually the pastor at the church that all these guys attend. Oh, God. <laughs> literally, literally. <laughs> so at that moment, like, I start doing a mental tally of 
all the things I've said so far on the boat, like trying to go back, like, oh man, what have I said? Yeah. And, and I haven't made any blatantly blasphemous statements, I'm pretty sure, but I've definitely been cursing consistently. So I, I sort of pause and then I say to the guy, oh, uh, pastor, I, uh, I'm sorry if I offended you with my foul language. I'll, I'll, I'll keep things cleaner from here on out. And the guy, the guy looked at me with what I can only describe as a shit eating grin on his face and just said, what the f*** are you talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Beauty. You I mean, beauty. You know, as you might imagine, the whole <laughs> boat broke out in laughter, and I'm pretty sure some beers were cracked soon thereafter. And it was, it was a good reminder that context matters, right? On yeah. a boat, floating down a beautiful trout stream, on vacation, with a casual sense of ease and goodwill just permeating the air in conversation, that can drop anyone's defenses. Sure. Yeah, the guy's a pastor. That's his job. But that's not all he is. And and that day, in that moment, he was just part of a group of friends having a good time. I love this guy, right? Like, this is my kind of pastor. Like, this sounds like a good church. Like, if there was a Jesus Christ Church of Latter-day, go f*** yourself, asshole, I might actually attend <laughs> and maybe end up in purgatory instead of going straight to hell. Uh, but not before I kick the hell out of you in this week's Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly. All right, so I got to say congrats to you, my friend. Yes, you Good do. on you. Good on you for that deep dive into the line pull hook removal method a couple weeks back mm-hmm. because we have gotten quite a few notes from listeners that really appreciated that, right? Yeah. And that's, that's super yeah. cool because if we've even given you like just a little tiny bit more confidence to do that or made you slightly less scared of getting jabbed, that's a win. Right, I, so I got to say, man, that was that was your episode, and then you nailed that. But we also we also got some funny and informative notes about this. We, I and was I, surprised. I, I will admit, I was surprised at the amount of feedback we got on that. Yeah, we like, we did, we did, and I, I we don't certainly don't have time to mention them all. But no. I, there's a, there's a couple here I've pulled that I just have to shout out. Okay, so I'm going to butcher this name, and dude, I'm sorry, but all the way from Australia, Yan Kuka. I think Kucha, Kuka, something. You know who you are. Nobody else. We've never had another Yan, okay? Uh, <laughs> Yan, but, yeah. thank you. <laughs> thank you, Yan. He wrote in, and it turns out he's an emergency room doctor in Australia, and he says, despite all the techniques available, the line pull is still the main one he uses on patients because it is the least traumatic. And, and this is interesting, this I'd like to know more about, he says he's used it on, on hooks like all the way up to heavy gauge Shark stuff. That was the thing that caught me. I'd love to see how that works. I believe him because he's an ER doc. I'm not. Yeah. What, he just tells he just he tells his nurse like can you get me the cable can you get me the bike chain for this <laughs> exactly. one exactly because we had a few people write in and they were like why not braid I'm like let me tell you why and they're like oh yeah. I get it right but a yeah. shark hook man like what do you like I don't know you hook it up to the pickup truck or something I don't know but <laughs> hey man he's a doctor and they're good so there you go uh, it's ER doctor approved uh, the, the method. Um, he also I didn't me just up. make it up. I, no, I, I am says, not just, uh, just talking go. out of my ass for once. <laughs> there you go. Um, he also backed me up on using pig skin, like on a pork yes. belly, to practice. And he actually said pig skin can be slightly tougher than human skin. So if you can do it on pig skin, you'll have no problem ripping them hooks out your uncle. Okay, so pig skin. There go, you go. Go get yourself some pig skin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all need that anyway. Um, so while I did not get a last name. 
Guide Sean from Flying Fish Outdoors said, great job on the description, Miles. But you guys forgot to talk aftercare. Yeah, and he's he's did. done He's done this with clients a lot and just says, hey, I always carry iodine. Um, and we will take the mulligan on that. That is a good. That is a good point. It's a good call. Um, and of course, if your if your tetanus shots aren't up to date, you should get one after you get stuck. Which I I will sadly admit I am lax about. Like I told that tuna lore story, did not freshen up my tetanus shot, and it's been three years. My jaw has not locked, so I think by now I I'm think fine. You're okay, but don't do what I do. Do it. Don't don't listen to me. That was a postscript I missed on the the uncle story. He did get a tetanus shot at the ER. Well, I imagine if you go to the hospital, that's just like part of the, They're the just gig, like, Here right? You go. Here you go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, uh, hoping Phil's jaw isn't locked up because uh, he's going to be judging our news stories this week yet again because yet again, this is a competition. Miles and I do not know which stories the other guy is bringing to the table. It is your lead this week, so have at it. It is. And, you know, I could talk about how the Columbia River is seeing the lowest return of summer steelhead in recorded history. Mm-hmm. And the numerous groups who are calling on Oregon and Washington to cancel the fall steelhead fishing season this year. Mm-hmm. But if you're a Western steelhead angler, you already know about that. And if you're not, you probably don't care. I, for one, will not be fishing any of the Columbia system this year. And that's just, frankly, depressing as hell. Sure. And I don't feel like being depressed today, Joe. So okay. I'm not going to talk about that. All right. Instead, instead, I'm going to talk about a different native fish that spent many years on the endangered list and was just recently declared recovered. Hmm. The snail darter. Oh, hmm. I love a good snail darter. <laughs> <laughs> so to your point, <laughs> what you're getting at there, I think, snail darters are, are they're nowhere near as glamorous as steelhead, nor are they all that popular with anglers unless they're into the whole micro fishing thing, but damn it. I wanted a happy story. So we are talking snail darters. All right. Lay it on me in case you've never heard of a snail darter. They look like, well, they kind of look like gobies. They're not, but that's like the best way I can describe them. They're about Mm -hmm. three inches long with mottled green and brown camouflage on their backs. They're in the perch family, like all darters. And, And snail darters are only native to the Tennessee River drainage. Okay. Their primary food source is, wait for it, freshwater snails, Mm -hmm. you know, which might be how they got the name. Look, there are at least 215 recognized darter species living in the creeks, rivers, and streams of the U.S. The only reason this particular one rings a bell with anybody is because it was at the center of one of the very first Endangered Species Act controversies. Snail darters were identified in 1973, the same year that the Endangered Species Act was passed by Congress. They were found by a researcher who was investigating the potential impacts of the Teleco Dam, which was in the process of being built on the Little Tennessee River. In 1975, snail darters were listed as endangered, which posed a potential problem for the dam. Its creation would destroy much of the snail darter's remaining habitat, Mm -hmm. which was theoretically prohibited under the National Environmental Protection Act. This was one of the first significant tests of America's newly codified commitment to environmental protection. The dam had been in various stages of planning since 1936. In the late 60s, the project gained momentum and funding. 
The idea behind this dam was to create a reservoir that would bring economic stimulus in the form of recreation to an area that was stagnant and mostly destitute. Teleco is not a hydroelectric dam. It's only there to create a lake to increase property values and make kind of a seemingly unpleasant yeah. valley into a more attractive place for homeowners and vacations. Sell more water skis and whatnot. Exactly. And, yeah. and lakefront property. It was an expensive project based on the hopes that it would magically transform this area into a, quote, recreation wonderland. By the time the snail darter was listed under the ESA, the dam was already 75% completed. The money had been appropriated, and the promise of economic vitality for the area felt imminent. Both the House and the Senate strongly opposed stopping the dam, and for the first time, though definitely not the last, the legislative branch of the government confronted the real tension between economic development and protecting native habitat. In 1976, a law student at the University of Tennessee brought a citizen case against the Tennessee Valley Authority, claiming that the construction of the dam violated the ESA and seeking an injunction to halt the dam's construction. The case was batted around various lower courts. Just about every judge who heard the case recognized that the dam represented a, a real threat to the snail darter, but stopped short of shutting down the dam. In 1977, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals did finally issue the injunction, and the dam construction came to a screeching halt when it was 99% finished. Ooh. This tiny little fish that nobody knew about, and frankly, very few people cared about, threatened to derail a public works project that had been planned for over four decades just before completion. The case then became the first Supreme Court challenge to the Endangered Species Act. The Tennessee Valley Authority argued that the government had already spent $100 million on the project and that an exception to the ESA should be made in this case. Lawyers for the TVA also pointed out that Congress had continued to appropriate money for the project after learning that it would harm the lowly snail darter and argued that in doing so, Congress had implicitly repealed the Endangered Species Act completely. Mm. Had the Supreme Court agreed with the defense in this case, the ESA would have been gutted and gone in 1977. But that's not what happened. The Supreme Court disagreed and upheld the legality of the injunction and the validity of the ESA. But the fight over economic development and the preservation of intact ecosystems that we're still in the middle of today, it was just getting started. Just because of this case, in 78, Congress amended the ESA and brought, quote, some flexibility into the Endangered Species Act. They also created an Endangered Species Committee, which still exists today, mm -hmm. sometimes referred to as the God Committee and gave that committee the power to push through projects that violated the ESA if their broader economic value was sufficient to justify the costs. When that committee looked at Teleco Dam in 1979, they unanimously denied an exemption, but not because of the snail darter, hmm. purely on economic factors. Turns out Teleco Dam was going to cost over $7 million a year to maintain and was expected to only generate about $6 million annually in economic stimulus, it would also put $40 million worth of agricultural land underwater. Boom. End of story, right? Dam's done. Economic policy and environmental policy, they just happen to overlap. Everybody wins. 
No, that, that's not what happened at all. Later that year, Senate and congressional representatives from Tennessee attached a rider to a national appropriations bill mandating the completion of Teleco Dam, and later that year, the reservoir began to fill. Hmm. All sounds bad, but as I told you in the lead of this story, it's not, because the snail darter gets a happy ending. The fish were transplanted to various tributaries of the Tennessee River, from which they had been previously extirpated. The TVA also worked really closely with state management agencies to improve river flows and oxygenation levels across multiple dams on the whole Tennessee River system in order to improve habitat in the main stem. And a week ago, the fish were declared recovered. Though these fish... Yeah. Yeah. Right? These fish may be small, and we as anglers may not care about them, but they, they represent a watershed moment in the values of our nation. The congressional battle over Teleco Dam was the first time that the words environmental extremist were uttered on the floor of the House. It was the first time Americans had to confront the very, very significant opposition between development and the fish, wildlife, and ecosystems we claim to care about. Now, I started this whole story by saying I wouldn't talk about the state of Columbia River Steelhead but I changed my mind. (laughs) We need to learn from our past. And even though I think the snail darter is a cautionary tale in many ways, it's also ultimately a success story. If we can find the will to protect and even rehabilitate snail darters, fish with essentially zero advocates, we damn sure ought to be able to do the same for steelhead. One of North America's most iconic fish fish. Doing so. Yeah. Doing so is going to require sacrifices. That's just the the fact. It will. It's going to require sacrifices from industry, from power generators, from agriculture, from homeowners, and from anglers. Collective sacrifice is the only way we get big shit done. But we are capable, I believe, of both sacrifice and achievement. So let's kind of, let's get this going. Let's move from the snail darters to the steelhead. Let's get something going, guys. I would very much like to agree that we all have that in us, but I just I can't I can't help but keep going back to the fact in this one that it was ultimately squashed because the state wasn't going to make enough money off the recreation, right? I, I mean, it's like it's still the main driver, and like there was something you said that you know they 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 sort of proposed this as a recreational wonderland. I think if we could just anytime somebody says we should do this because it'll be a recreational wonderland, that should be the thing that stops us from doing it. Because I feel like this story has happened. El- like, look at the Salton Sea, like as an example in California. You know what I mean? One day Sinatra's there having a mai tai. Next thing you know, it's a barren wasteland. So, like, a lot of these things, I, I just don't think work out anyway. Um, I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy for the for the fish. And you would think it would be easier for fish we care more about because you could also measure the economic impact of steelhead and what money they yep. bring in. So I, I told that story. I mean, one, like I did really want to go with something positive, but I I feel like it's, I think it's really emblematic of a lot of the fights that we run into. And the fact that it was the first Supreme Court challenge to the ESA is worthy of noting. And it was over this fish, right? Mm -hmm. And look, in the end, the dam won out, right? The, the, The congressional pork won. But we still found a way collectively through many, many years and a lot of money to bring these fish back. So I, I'm not I'm not saying that the way that it was handled with the snail dart, like, let's use that as a blueprint for bringing back steelhead. Sure. That's not the point I'm trying to make. What I'm trying to make is if we can pull it off with those fish in those circumstances, 
come on, there's got to be a way that we can balance all the different needs to keep Steelhead coming back. You're right. And it is out there somewhere. And you've done a story here on sort of a resurrection, something something coming back. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna use that to transition into my first story. Though it's so funny because you kick this off with like sort of a fake out story. And I'm not even lying, right? The, the, I, I was actually going to use this story with this headline. This is a real one from this week. Newest worry, experts say friendly dolphin in Cornwall could kill people or be killed. But me and my anti-dolphin <laughs> league have already proven you so wrong that I passed. I'm like, why oh, drive man. this point home any further? Okay, I, I don't um, need to hear any more about the dolphin <laughs> hate, everyone. But I'm, I got I'm still, it. I got I, it. I'm still going to turn it on your turf a little bit here, because it was you, not me, that already informed our audience about David DeLong. Does that name ring a bell? It does. So DeLong was credited as the the first guy in the country to create a plastic worm. And you talked about him right in the end of the line segment about cream worms, which sort of overshadowed DeLong. Like they kind (laughs) of stole his thunder (laughs) a little bit, right? They totally did, yeah. Well, according to this story on Ohio's WKYC.com, the DeLong Lure Company is reopening after being closed for a decade, and the new owners are setting up shop just outside of Akron, Ohio, where DeLong got its start. Now, this is significant because right after World War II, a lot of people don't know this, Akron, of all places, was actually a huge hub of tackle manufacturing. Right? Absolutely. Not only, not only did DeLong set up shop there uh, after pouring that first rubber worm, kind of getting it right there in 1946, Akron was also home to Pfluger back in those days, Arbogast. Um, as well as 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 the cream family and their worm operation, mm-hmm. which again kind of had a better marketing strategy than DeLong. But what many people may not even realize is that DeLong lures lasted for a very long time. In fact, early in my career, I remember getting my hands on some DeLong eels, right? That I think mm. a lot of people didn't even realize they made that had like a little niche thing going here in the striper scene. Um, they are making again, I saw it on their website, a five-inch killer sand eel it's k-i-l-r sand eel and man back in the day that was one hell of a surf casting teaser for the fall when the bass are on sand eels um and I, dude, i've been out of those for years like i saw that and almost forgot they existed i was like oh my god the killer eel so i'm excited right so it shut down 10 years ago but new owners steven ziegler and aaron futrell bought the business back in may and while they fully understand the risk in this they're hopeful that they can make a go of it. Now, it's a very historical company, and here's why I think they have a shot. You know how vintage is very in right now, right? Everybody loves vintage. And how sometimes, you know, something that's old has the tendency to become new again. Well, in fishing, we're always looking for the latest and greatest and coolest and most modern, but if you look on DeLong's website, they're keeping it really OG. Most of what they make is pre-rigged. And pre-rigged lures have caught mm. piles of fish for decades, but nobody really uses them anymore. That's, no. that's not an in thing at all. Similar mm-hmm. to the cream worm, same deal. Um, so what you have, though, you have this cool vintage appeal, but now they're made with a little bit more modern plastic than the old stuff, right? They're they're cranking out more modern colors. Um, and, you know, generations of anglers have already proven that you can catch the hell out of fish on a lot of this old school pre-rigged stuff. So not only are they making all kinds of, of pre-rigged bass worms, uh, they've got some salty stuff and some pretty neat panfish slash ice offerings. Really cool pre-rigged 
tiny old school stuff, including, uh, and, and maybe somebody else makes this and I don't know about it, but I'd never seen it. They're making soft plastic fish eyeballs for places where you can't use a real fish eye, like on the ice for panfish. Huh. Um, and I'll tell you what, dude, I'm grabbing some of this stuff because I think it's retro and cool. And nobody out there can say like, yeah, but that stuff doesn't work. It's been working since 1946. <laughs> so I, I really, I, I love the resurrection angle there. I really hope these guys uh, can make a go with DeLong. Um, again, it's like what's old is new. This is actually, this has been around, but if you go look at some of this stuff, it's very different compared to what's out there now. And we want different. So I yeah. think it's got some legs, you know. No, that's that's really interesting, and I agree with you. I think this, you know, it depends on how the the business is managed and marketed and handled. But I think this could absolutely work. I, I would I would say that tackle manufacturing happens to be a growth industry right now. Uh, so these yeah. guys timed it pretty well. Yeah, considering but what dude, the they're even making doing. stuff like that that you just don't see anymore. Like remember when we were kids, you'd buy a rubber frog that would come pre rigged on the hook with the wire flip down weed guard. Oh, and stuff absolutely. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're making trailers, frogs with those hooks already in them. Uh, but they were terrible. They were lifeless, right? They had that pre-rigging thing, but those old ones were just molded plastic that didn't right. move. So you're just right. dragging a, a and, and like lifeless frog around. That's the thing where I think that the new owners recognize, like, how do we mix what worked old school and what people recognize and remember and and sort of upgrade that? So I don't remember off the top of my head what they're called, but they're making they're making frogs with the old school rigged weedless hook. But now they got some legs that look like they're going to move. And yeah. it's pretty cool. Wacky colors and all kinds of stuff. It's worth at least checking out. I think it's cool. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination 
on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You were talking about an old technology in fish, and I'm going to talk about a new technology. There you go. Easy peasy. I, I went really long on my first story, so I'm, I'm keeping this one short. And for those of you who've been listening for a while, you might remember around a year ago, I was on this kick about bioengineering, specifically how fish could help engineers design all kinds of new technology from cloaking devices to super armor to more efficient battleships. Yeah, predator suits. Right. Yeah, totally. And I moved away from those kinds of stories because I felt like people might be getting tired of them. But it's been a while, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring one back. The same researcher who did the study on incorporating carp scale design into body armor. Uh-huh. Remember that one? Remember this? Oh, yeah. So same guy recently published a paper looking into the engineering intricacies of fish fins, which I hadn't thought about, but makes sense. That's why they have that job and not me. Researchers have long known that fish fins are incredibly effective and efficient, allowing fish to navigate and maneuver underwater quickly, precisely, and with minimal energy expenditure. But they didn't understand the specific mechanisms that make fins such fine instruments. The details of this get a little wonky, even for me, but the short of it is that their structures combine rigidity and flexibility. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 Fins are made up of any number of rays, right? It's what some people call spines with fleshy webbing in between those rays. And fish can manipulate the individual rays within the same fin independently, giving hmm. them very precise control. Hmm. Each ray in a fin is made up of multiple segments of hard material that stack on top of much softer collagen, making them the perfect balance between bouncy and stiff. Hmm. According to Francois <laughs> Bartholot, I could get off on a joke with that comment, yeah, but I yeah, won't. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> According to the lead author of the study, quote, until recently, the function of those segments hadn't been clear. So he dug in to figure out what exactly those segments do. He told Science Daily, all of the segments essentially create these tiny hinges along the ray or the spine. When you try to compress or pull on those bony layers, they have a very high stiffness. This is critical for the ray to resist and produce hydrodynamic forces that push on water. But if you try to bend individual bony layers, they're very compliant. And that part is critical for the rays to deform easily from the base muscles. Bartholat and team have successfully recreated, as, as complicated as all that sounds to me, I, I just, the way I picture it is like tons of tiny little hinges within the ray. Like they're a bunch of really stiff, small pieces connected with collagen yeah. that stack up into a ray. That's how I picture it in my head. I, I, I'm with you. It's, it's heavy and interesting. I, what are yeah. we making out of it? What are we making out of it? Well, so the, 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 the team have successfully recreated fin structures that incorporate all those hinges with a 3D printer. So they're actually recreating them in plastic. In ways cool. that, that kind of work. So 
they're moving along. And the hope is that this technology will inform both aircraft and submersible designs. So like, take a second. Imagine a drone with wings that have the dynamic capacity for subtle adjustment, like a fish's fin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like a design like that is probably a long way out, but it could completely transform aviation. So when Amazon drones start delivering groceries and spying through your windows, uh, their wings might look ju- a whole lot like fish fins. Bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> All this to talk about the Amazon. drones. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I know. I know. Well, it's, it's a drone. I might not crash too. so far. <laughs> that's uh that hasn't existed. It's, it's hard to do. Yeah. yeah. I think that's fascinating, man. We've had a lot of good ones. I remember the shark skin on the bottom of boats to make mm-hmm. them more efficient in the water. So at least this is going to aviation and submersible technology, like not, you know, a, I don't know, a Swiffer sweeper that like will get under your couch without you bending over or anything like that. You know what <laughs> I mean? I'd buy that. I'd buy I, that. Well, I would too with fish fin technology. <laughs> um, always fascinated by these, man. I, you know, there's been a lot of things that we – claim we can borrow from fish to make our lives better. I wonder like 30 years from now how like how much will this will be just common. You know what I mean between the armor and the fins like how much of this are we really going to see? Remember the the one we did on on the potentially biodegradable plastic made out of fish carcasses? Yes. Mm-hmm. That would be great. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no matter no matter how smart the people are coming up with all these things we can we can we can do with fish carcasses and whatnot. Um I, I still don't think they're going to impress PETA very much. And I would, <laughs> I would like to say before I be- begin this, uh, this last story that I go out of my way to like really never give any press to PETA. But today I have to, and I'm sorry, because this is just too much fun and, and, and too much us. I think we'll have a little bit of a good time here. So we've taken some pretty deep dives on the show about birds wrapped in fishing line, right? Yes. And what we ultimately agree on is that you you need to be a steward out there. I think most of you people listening are. And while certain things are going to happen that we can't easily fix or remedy, we make the effort to not leave mono lying around or you know get that lure or fly out of a tree if possible mm-hmm. and so on. Nobody, including us, wants to see birds wrapped up in fishing line. Okay. Nope. Well, last week... Peter thought, hey, you know, Labor Day weekend, long weekend is fast approaching. Families might be thinking about using that long weekend to fish. So we best hustle up and put out some fresh anti-fishing propaganda and change some minds. But this time, rather than go with the your dad's a murderer cruelty to fish <laughs> angle that I actually don't think worked very well for them over the years. Clearly not. Now it's birds getting wrapped in fishing line. That is now the main reason you should never, ever, not ever once go fishing. And basically now they're saying, well, if you fish, clearly you also give zero shits about the health of birds in our environment. Okay? Oh, PETA. So wait, because the punchline's still coming. So they released a video of a PETA team in full PETA uniform responding <laughs> to a call wait, what does about- that look like? It's a PETA t-shirt, okay? Can you oh, give me some liberties? It was like, it was like, like a furry costume. <laughs> that was only like a picture in like a furry convention in Vegas. Go ahead. So, so much better. <laughs> it's really just a PETA t-shirt and hat, all right? Okay. All right. Not trying to be a little dramatic, you know. So they're in full PETA uniform responding to a call about a blue heron hanging from a tree 
via discarded fishing line. And of course, as you can imagine, it's very sad music. They went back to the Sarah McLaughlin deal. It's mm-hmm. very downer. And in the story, it says, quote, while they were able to paddle to the scene and free the heron, the badly injured bird died on the way to emergency veterinary care. And countless other animals endure similar fates as a result of discarded fishing tackle. Now, I watched this video and they did not paddle all the way to the bird. The opening scenes are the crew in said PETA uniforms loading their kayak onto a small center console boat that is brimming with rigged fishing rods. <laughs> Which suggests to me that they leaned on some local angler or charter uh, captain to get them and their kayak to the entangled heron. Now, here's, here's what I'm saying, right? Whoever owns that boat, whoever that guy is, I don't fault him, right? Like if someone said to me, like I was coming into the dock and they were like, hey, dude, uh, there's a bird in trouble. We want to save it. Can you give us a lift? I'd say, yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Like, no problem. Like, again, yeah. all four saving birds don't want to yep. see bad things happen to birds. Yep. But is it just me or is the hypocrisy a little strong there? You know what I mean? Like, the organization comes down so fiercely on anglers. I would just assume they wouldn't even give someone who fishes the time of day. You know what I mean? Now, like, maybe one rod, fine. Peter can look the other way. A guy with one rod might just be, like, a little bit horrible. <laughs> but, but this happened in Virginia. And I, I know some Virginia boys. I got some Virginia friends. And most of the time, when you got six fairly heavy rods rigged and ready on the bow, like you're angling to put some reds or flounder or cats or croakers in the damn cooler. And mm-hmm. according to PETA, in their own story, by their own words, such people, quote, hook gentle animals through their sensitive mouths, watch them slowly suffocate, and sometimes even gut them while they're still alive. Okay? They used to pull the hog out and they used to eat it. You're hypocrites. All of you. So, so may, maybe the average non-angler wouldn't have caught that, but I did. I saw it, PETA, and shame on you. Like, that's not right. Like, we can't be that hard. If we're so awful, why would you even dare get on a boat with six rigged fishing rods with maybe popping corks and knocker rigs on them, you know? So, yeah, there we go. I mean, the thing about PETA is that they don't, they have never trafficked in logic. Exactly. And, and I think, I think, I think the people at, High up in Peter would admit that. I think they'd be like, no, no, no. Appeals to logic are not what we do. Right. We appeal to emotion. That's what we do. Sure. And that's why the, you know, most of our membership is made up of children between eight and 14. I mean, that's who they're targeting to be like, your parents are terrible. Don't do this. They're, they're, they're just plucking those emotional heartstrings without having to do the messy work of making it make sense. And they're well, very good at that. They are, and it's funny because this this video was was only a couple days old when I watched it, and you know I'm just just commenting on what I see with my own eyes. The view count on this one was very low. There were like mm-hmm. twelve comments, and it was all people that were just like, "Oh my God, praise you for this content for the heron." <laughs> I mean, look if 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 I we want to like be Pete has fallen off in the last decade or they so. They kind of, I think so. Like there was nobody even there bothering to troll them. And like, if you're, by the way, <laughs> you're, you're not welcome. If you're one of those people out there that are like, you just live to troll shit, you're welcome. Cause I just gave you the ammo. I'm not doing it, but by all means get on the video and be like, how about them six fishing rods with the knocker rigs? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
And one could also say that Heron, in the eyes of many anglers, is just like one step above cormorant. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, not if you're the, trying to save the fish, Peter. Yeah. You might want to whack. Just some let herons. that heron go. Okay? Just saying. Just get out there and take out some cormorants, and it will all be good. <laughs> Uh, we'll see who, who Phil has mercy on this week. Gave him a lot to think about there. And as soon as we're done, we're going to jump right into fin clips. Um, if you didn't think you knew anything about the uh, snail darter, let's see what you know about Goldeye. Joe Cermelli, for your eagle-eyed PETA video viewing this week, you have been crowned the winner by me. <laughs> Just as an eagle, don't get caught in some fishing line. Also, when you were sharing your story about DeLong Lures, a beloved company shuttered for decades, only to reopen again when some passersby spot smoke rising from the chimneys, it reminded me of something else, a similar story. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. You don't think that maybe David DeLong will hide five golden bass lures in bait shops around the world. Invite these five lucky winners to the factory. Just think about it. There'll be a chocolate river filled with musky. The snozberries taste like salt water. And one lucky winner will be taken up to his great glass catamaran into the sky, where they'll be given the keys to DeLong lures and let their wildest dreams come true. Just make sure you don't get tempted to steal their ideas and sell them off to Heart or Venom or some other lure company that I just Googled. Or else, well... You lose! Good day, sir! Picture the scene. Late summer in southwest Montana. Fingers wrapped around oar handles in the middle of a drift boat, floating into that blurry geographic edge where craggy peaks and vertical creeks give way to the meandering grasslands of the prairie. I'm in my third season as a fishing guide, salty enough to have earned intimacy on a respectable number of river miles, but green enough to still find myself in unknown territory when I get sucked into the gravitational pull of multi-boat trips. This was one of those trips. The outfitter I was working for called the play. Lower Yellowstone. This is back in the day when anything below Big Timber felt as remote as Kamchatka, and we were well below Big Timber. Despite the fact that I had to follow the caravan to find the put-in and stay within range of the other boats to make sure I didn't miss the takeout, everything had gone surprisingly well. The client's rod stayed bent most of the day, and the gentleman in the back, who would later go on to fish dozens of days with me, even managed a two-foot brown trout on a size 16 dry fly. I was feeling heroic, but at 6 p.m., we were still drifting pitching grasshoppers along brushy banks beside overgrazed fields. And I had no idea where we were. For me, the fish had fallen back on the priority list. We had already caught plenty, and I was more concerned with making sure we didn't end up floating to Billings. The clients cast their flies to the edge of a big back eddy behind a riprap point. I hardly noticed the aggressive slash on the surface, but yelled out, Set! Instinctively. The client in the front lifted his rod, and the strangest thing happened. There... In the golden light of the late afternoon, against the backdrop of sun-bleached grasses, a fish broke from the water and shook its head. I thought I was hallucinating, because I knew damn well there are no baby tarpon in the Yellowstone River. But if forced to identify that fish off one distant jump, that's probably what I would have guessed. 
Once we scooped it into the net and I got a good long look at the deep-bodied, silvered-scaled specimen with its massive jaundiced eyes, I had even less idea what I was looking at. The client asked, what is that? It's, a uh, Missouri River Shed, I responded, hoping that the confidence in my voice would smother any follow-up questions. Maybe the client, being from South Carolina, knew little about the native species of the Rockies and the Plains, or maybe he was just polite enough not to want to make me look like a jackass in my own boat. Either way, he acted satisfied with my answer. We released the fish and hit the takeout ramp just at dark. Over beers later that night, I told one of the other guides about the mystery fish. Oh, that was a gold eye, he explained. You catch those in the lower river. Where the white fish end, the gold eye begin. Hyadon alisoides can be found all over North America, from the Quebec-Ontario border to the Canadian Rockies, from central Montana to Louisiana and throughout the Missouri and Mississippi River systems. I wasn't that far off in my creative renaming of this fish. The word alisoides, the Latin name for the species, actually means shad-like. They look remarkably similar to shad, but they are not at all related. I was not the first person to have difficulty classifying these fish either. Goldeye and their cousins, Moon-Eye, are not closely related to any other living fishes. Though their ancestors go back at least 34 million years in the fossil record, they're the only ones left in their genus and order. Taxonomists and biologists have struggled to figure out where these somewhat generic, silvery-looking fish fit into the evolutionary puzzle for a long time, and they still don't really know. Up until recently, these fish were thought to be related to African knifefish, though that hypothesis seems to have been recently discounted. Goldeye are generally found in large rivers like the Missouri, Mississippi, Ohio, and Red. They prefer to hang out in eddies and backwaters adjacent to the main flow. As with so many fish that don't have strong commercial or recreational value, much about these fish remains kind of mysterious. Despite their wide distribution and relatively high abundance, no one has ever observed Goldeye spawning. We know they spawn sometime between late winter and spring, depending on the latitude, and that some populations make spawning migrations of 100 miles or so. Most sources claim that they're broadcast spawners, but one paper hypothesizes that males cup their anal fins to the vents of females and that both the male and female release their gametes into the male's cup fin, which sounds at least a little more intimate and satisfying than broadcast spawning. Those fertilized eggs are coated in oil, which makes them semi-buoyant, meaning the eggs don't sink. They suspend and drift just below the surface. While this is common in marine fishes, it's almost unheard of for freshwater species. After drifting for about two weeks, the eggs hatch into larvae that continue to hang out on the surface, suspended vertically, looking skyward. Whereas most smaller freshwater fish grow and reproduce quickly as an evolutionary strategy, goldeye take their time. Males don't reach sexual maturity for six to nine years, and for females, it can take up to a decade. Even though these fish rarely exceed 20 inches in length, they can live up to 30 years. Goldeye got their name from their oversized and distinctive yellow-orange eyeballs, which are one of the few characteristics that set them apart from moon-eye. Unlike moon-eye, Goldeye are better able to see and feed in turbid water and are therefore more likely to be found in flows that lack clarity than their moony relatives. Though woefully unsung, 
These fish are tailor-made for light tackle fishing. First off, they eat anything, and I mean truly anything they can get a hold of. While the majority of their diet consists of aquatic and terrestrial insects, they also eat plenty of bait fish. Earlier this summer, my buddy, Rick Matney, who's been on the show before, called to inform me that his clients had caught no less than a dozen gold eye on mouse flies that day. You can fish for them just about any way you want. Dry flies, nymphs, streamers, spinners, spoons, small jerkbaits, worms, crickets, minnows, you name it. If you get it in front of a gold eye, it'll probably get munched. They are most active at night and during low light periods, but can be caught any time of the day. Once hooked, most gold eye will give you at least one good jump. They like to put on a show. I've only heard two knocks against gold eye. One, they don't get real big. A 15 incher is respectable and a 20 incher is a hog, but come on. I mean, that's true for most trout fisheries. The other complaint I've heard is that they lack stamina. They give you a couple good runs, a jump or two, and then give up. But to me, that's hardly a major problem. What do you expect from a fish that rarely cracks two pounds? Since that first day, I had one come into my net as bycatch. I have enjoyed many a fine evening fishing for gold eye. I generally target them in late summer when they're eager to come to the surface for grasshoppers, ants, and beetles. I've never eaten one personally, but I've heard they're similar to shad and herring. Good smoked, but not something you want to bother filleting due to the bones and the oil. Speaking of their oily meat, I do happen to know that freshly caught gold eye make dynamite cut bait for channel cats. I have never caught a moon eye myself, but I hear that they are very similar. If you live anywhere near a large river between the Rockies and the Appalachians, chances are good one or both of these fish are swimming around close to home, and they're probably not seeing a lot of pressure. Next time you're in the mood to try something different, grab an ultralight rod or a five weight and go prospect some slackwater pockets. And remember, no matter what your eyes or your guide tell you, it's not a baby tarpon. So while I am familiar with moon eye, I was actually pretty unaware of this fish, I got to say. Most people are. Most yeah. people are. We, 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 we've had a few listeners hit us up about giving the moon eye some love. Yeah. But the, the truth is, I've never personally caught a moon eye, so I can't speak to them. I can't do that segment. But if they're anything like gold eye, which they are, then I consider them totally badass. Yeah, and and sadly, I can't do the moon eye either because I I haven't caught one either, right? And this really? summer, yeah, no, this summer I was I was in their presence. However, while shooting a B side episode for this upcoming season, they were in the river I was fishing. Dude, I was fishing with Tyler Winter. Mm-hmm, he caught mm-hmm. one, um, and I even switched to like dry and wet flies, real small stuff. Yep, specifically looking to hook one for a little while, but the water was just. It was crazy high. It's kind of a long story. You'll see it later. But the conditions just weren't great. So I, I spent some time trying. It just didn't happen. You know. Yeah. Well, I think there's there's something in the future, maybe that, that, yeah. that should be considered about gold eye and moon eye because they are underappreciated, really cool fish, particularly on a fly rod, but but on anything. They, uh, yeah. Anyway, on the subject of missed opportunities, Joe is about to tell you about his, uh, shall we say, rocky relationship. Fair. With a, a particular fly pattern that lots of people swear by. But me personally, I have yet to even tie one onto the end of my line. But perhaps after this, I'll finally get on the bus. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. The drunken disorderly streamer 
often shortened to just the D&D, was created by Michigan-based trout guide Tom Lynch. And the drunk came into existence about 15 years ago. And one could even argue that this pattern marked the very first blatant attempt by a fly tire to recreate the action and presentation of a very specific conventional lure. In this case, the classic rappel of floater. Since then, fly anglers have largely embraced this premise, leaning on everything from synthetic paddle tails to plastic lips to make their streamers look more like lures, which is ironic. Is it not? I've always thought so. Because while tying flies that do lure things is okay, I guess, just picking up a spinning rod and casting lures that do lure things is not acceptable to many of these fly dudes. But I digress. I interviewed Tom Lynch about the D&D years ago. And what he told me is that he believed it was the erratic jackknifing that made a classic Rapalus so effective. He believed that that quick kick to the side that revealed the lure's full profile and flesh was the ultimate trigger. This explains the unique, downward-angled, wedge-shaped head of a drunken disorderly, which is carved out of tightly packed deer hair. Tom will tell you straight up that that head is 100% modeled after a Rapala's lip. And I will tell you that the first time I ever used a D&D, I hated the damn thing. Drunks are available in several sizes, but the OG D&D is approximately four inches long, jointed, sporting two hooks, packed with flash, and rounded out by mallard feathers and rabbit strips, strategically positioned to make the fly keel, jackknife, and pivot. The first D&D I ever owned was given to me by a guide buddy on the Upper Delaware River. And all he said to me was, these are really good, man. A few months later, I tied the fly on during a miserable float on the same river after miles of moving zero fish on streamers and said, you know what? This thing really sucks, man. All I knew of it was that it was modeled after the Rapala. So I cast and stripped in long, steady pulls, assuming it would dig and wobble like a stick bait. But all it did was spin around awkwardly and really piss me off. Of course, the problem here, however, wasn't the fly. It was just my ignorance. I wouldn't get educated until the following winter when I met my buddy and guide Nick Raftis on the Lehigh River in eastern Pennsylvania. Tie on a drunk, he said. Bullshit, I said. But then he explained a few things. He'd been fishing his drunks on longer leaders, maybe seven feet instead of the usual four or five we both like for streamers. He was using a heavier sink tip, helping to create a belly between the fly and the end of the line faster on splashdown. I took his word for it, figuring... I'll give this a mile before I switch to a different pattern. Nick also explained that it's all in the wrist. Don't overwork it, he said. Short, fast wrist strips. And all of a sudden, I got to tell you, that drunk came to life. Kicking this way, then that, spinning around on itself, diving down on one strip and rising up on the next. And within a quarter mile, I had a brown come out and just freaking slam it. And I'd end up taking four more solid fish throughout the day, which is a high number for the time of year and the part of the river we were fishing on. Now, in the years since, I've caught hundreds more browns on a D&D. Matter of fact, I won't go streamer fishing without one. I have witnessed its magical ability to conjure up strikes when no other streamer has on way more than just one occasion. Almost suggesting that when a drunk is doing its thing and really working properly, it makes trout so friggin' mad they just have to kill it, even if they're not really in the mood to chew. 
Like most gaudy streamers, the drunk kicks the most ass in slightly high, slightly stained water. But even in low, clear water, it has really earned its keep. And not just on trout, but smallmouths too. Yes, you could say, I've grown to love fishing the drunk. Tying it, on the other hand, well, not so much. Because it's arguably one of the most difficult streamers to tie. Getting from the tail through the collar, that's a piece of cake. Anyone can do that. But screw up that head and it's over. It simply will not perform. It will not swim if that head is slightly off. And I've gotten to the point where if I nail the head on the first try in one out of four attempts, I'm pretty proud. But really, at the fly tying desk, I hate this f***ing fly. Well, we are just about out of opportunities to say things that might get us fired or humiliated. But before we go, remember that priests, pastors, rabbis, ministers, imams, monks, and other religious leaders might just leave their piety at the dock and turn into regular foul-mouthed anglers when they go fishing. Amen. Our friends at 13 Fishing don't care how much of a degenerate you are and are offering you 40% off your next purchase. Amen again. There are no tarpon, shad, or herring in the Mountain West, no matter what your idiot guide tells you, and Joe doesn't have to be drunk and disorderly to admit he's <laughs> wrong about the drunk and disorderly. No, I do not. Please send any and all stories of you putting your feet in your mouths, as well as any bar nominations, sale bin items, awkward fishing photos, and fish news suggestions to bent at com. And keep on tagging your posts with Degenerate Angler and Bent Podcast. And if you want to keep up with all the stupid things your fellow degenerates say and do on the socials, you might want to follow those hashtags as well. And finally, I'd just like to give a special thanks to my wife, who, though not an actual surgeon, has skillfully removed my toes from my tonsils more times than I can count. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. 